You know, we are, we are special people, all of us, everybody listening to this, you are a special person. And I don't mean that in a funny way. I mean that in, we somehow all found each other. We somehow all ended up here and somehow we all connect. Uh, yeah. Today on the show, I got to finally meet Brittany. I have been connected with her through email and social and all the things, but I've never actually spoken with her. And y'all are going to love her because I know you kind of like me, so you're going to love her because I found out that she and I are very, very similar. But today we talk about what it's like to be rare and finding connections and finding people and just feeling seen. This interview today doesn't really follow an outline. It's just two moms having a conversation, and I loved it. Hi, I'm Susan, and this is When Autumn Comes. Look, sometimes life just looks a little different than we thought it would. This is a podcast for mamas and the people who love them, whose lives were flipped upside down as a doctor looked into her eyes and explained our child's prognosis. Or for the caregivers who get very little sleep as they face symptoms and behaviors that just aren't typical for other children. This is a place where we can take on this journey together because we know that this can be a sad, lonely, misunderstood path. But we also know that as the darker days and colder temperatures begin to appear, so do the golden leaves and beautiful sunsets of autumn. We know that life comes in seasons. We know that in our world, 24 hours can hold so much change that it can feel like four seasons in one day. We are here to help you share your story, let you laugh, let you cry, help you learn and help you grow together with other mothers when autumn comes. When Autumn Comes podcast is a program of the Apricity Hope Project, a nonprofit organization created to empower, encourage, and restore caregivers of medically complex and special needs children. You can learn more about our project at apricityhope.org. Hey, welcome back to When Autumn Comes, and I am really excited because Brittany is here, Now, you guys don't know this, but Brittany and I have been trying to have this interview for at least six months. Um, I just looked back at the emails. I should look at the spreadsheet and see when you filled out your form. But I just looked back. The first email that I sent you was in April, and I know you filled the form out a couple months before that. So this has been a long time coming. Welcome! Thank you. I'm so excited. And that's just a reminder of real life, right? Like, this is the life we're living. And I know a lot's changed for you. We were talking before about what you filled out on your form and how some of it isn't even applicable anymore. Because, you know, in our intro, we say 24 hours can feel like four seasons. And here we are several seasons later, and things are completely different for us from where they were in the spring. Yeah, our life has changed. Um pretty dramatically in the last six months between new diagnosis and trying to find out what else is going on. And it's just, you're right. It's, it changes every minute sometimes. So tell us about your family. What are you, what are you doing on this podcast? Why are you here? (laughs) Yes. So as you said, my name is Brittany. Um, In my family, it is my husband, Chris, my daughter, Everly, who is four and has um, a few rare diseases And then my sweet boy, Maverick, who is almost three. And we live in a tiny town in central Minnesota. 
And we're just here to share our experience and our story in hopes that we can really be a positive influence for someone else going through exactly what we've been through and, and the unknowns. Yeah. And I think before I hit record, we were talking about how like, I've never met you before. We've sent maybe 10 emails, but in five minutes of time, I'm like, this person gets me. This is what I'm here for. This is a connection that we get each other in five minutes because we've rescheduled this 10 times and it's completely okay because our lives are insane. Yes. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I finally get to meet you. Like, it's just amazing how in our community that connection is instant and real and genuine. And those are the the people that keep you going every single day and the connections you need to literally survive. Yeah. It's so true. Even if we only like each other's pictures on Instagram, and even if it's something as simple as that, just having that connection, knowing that there's people out there, it's great. Um, So we usually follow a semi little bit of uh, agenda or outline, but you and I kind of decided before we started this that since it's been 10 times that we've rescheduled, we just kind of want to have a conversation. And I think that that's going to be even more comfortable. But before we dig in, just tell me a little bit about your girl. What what is she into? What does she love? Oh my gosh. So she is literally the brightest sunshine and light in our lives. Like the first thing you notice about her is her bright blue eyes and her magical personality and just the difference she makes when she walks into a room. And she is like a little mama bear too. She absolutely loves her Polly Pockets, her crybabies. She's constantly playing babies. And then you also find her playing doctor and putting in a G-tube in her crybaby. Like hysterical how <laughs> well she knows the medical terms. But she is just the best girl. She is <laughs> the best girl and the bravest girl that we know. So she has something called Set D5, and unfortunately, there's not a ton of information out there yet, but Set D5 is a gene that controls several other genes, and so it has a really broad range of phenotypical variants and symptoms. For her, early on in infancy, she really struggled with vomiting, seizures, extreme reflux. We spent most of her first year of life in the hospital with many unknowns and, you know, every workup you could think of, every lab you could think of, every tube you could think of, TPN. And so it wasn't until almost two years in that we actually got that diagnosis, the Mm -hmm. first one from the sequencing. And I'll never really forget the day that I got it because I felt an instant sense of relief. Like this is the answer we have been waiting for. And then I hopped onto Google before I even called the doctor because it was in my chart (laughs) and I couldn't find a darn thing, nothing. And I remember just like we got our answer, but we really didn't get any answers. So that's the first one. The second one is called Vangle 1, which is actually associated with her tethered cord that she has. That one's a little bit more common. I would say tethered cord and spina bifida you see more often. And so that is the other one. And now we just have a slew of other possibilities that we are looking through right now with her symptoms. And 
you almost wonder, like, with all of these rare diseases that she has, and then you pile them on top of each other, it makes her even more rare because is one disease doing something while the other disease is like, "Uh uh-uh, I don't like doing that. Are we all getting along together or not? Yeah, I recently listened to one of your episodes where it talked about kind of the conflicting two diagnoses together and that really they work against each other. And I think that's kind of what we're seeing now with her is this, she has extreme hypoglycemia. And so we haven't been able to regulate her blood sugars. And, you know, it's, it's probably a function of set D5, but there's also possibilities of what feels like a hundred other things. And you just wonder, you know, is it because they're working against each other? There's so many questions. And no one knows. I mean, there's not even, somebody asked me the other day, well, couldn't they figure that? Well, who's they? (laughs) And, you know, it's just, who's they? What are they trying to figure out? And then, (laughs) do they have the funding to do the research that they need to figure that out? Because in my case, you know, Lorelai was the 31st documented case in the world. Benji is in the hundred something, like just around a hundred they're not going to do a heck of a lot of research for a hundred children. And that's scary. Yeah. Mm hmm. Like, I don't know about you, but I, you know, that I just left therapy and stopped at Starbucks and rushed home for this call. And I'm the end of therapy. I said to my therapist, I was like, I just wish I could fix it. I just wish I could make it better for him. And my therapist said, well, what, what would make it better for him? And I was like, I mean, I wish I could click my heels and make him healthy, but that's not an option. He's like, well, what would make it better for him right now? As I'm like starting, literally, I start crying the last five minutes of therapy every single time. Like you need to make me cry at the beginning so that we can just move forward and figure this out. I walk out the door crying every time, but he's like, you know, what did, what did you do? Because No, I haven't told people this yet, but Benji had his first big seizure on Halloween. And it left all of us going like, what the heck do we do? Mm -hmm. Like, Lorelai didn't have seizures. I don't know how to navigate this. And I was like, well, the next day I just like hung out and laid on the couch with him and hugged my kid all day because I don't want to lose him and I can't fix this. And he's like, well, I think you did exactly what you needed to do. And I was like, right, but I couldn't fix it. He's like but you can't. And like, I don't know about you, but as a mom, how do you feel when you can't fix this? Interestingly enough, as I'm totally tearing up over here, those are some of the conversations I've had in the past week or two as we visited with our team and they're telling us, you know, we don't know, we're going to go to this expert. We don't know, we're going to go to this expert. And The symptoms are getting worse. The labs are getting worse. And all I want to do is fix her. And I can't. And at the end of the day, I am so terrified of losing her and not having that light in our life anymore that Mm -hmm. I don't know what I would do. And that's the reality. It's really hard to explain to loved ones and friends and coworkers because I would rather spend my time doing a spreadsheet of the past four years of labs and tests and trying to figure out data of that than 
go out to eat or go to these events because I am so desperate to make sure that she has a good life and can fix the medical issues that nobody else can fix. And then you spend all that time on the spreadsheets and the planning and the everything. And in the end, I'm going to be a bundle of joy right here. But in the end, I did all that and I gave Lorelai a head cold and she died. And it's like, as a mom who's done this twice now, I'm on my second round of this. I feel like I am more present with Benji because I know what could be coming. And I wish I could have talked to Susan, who only had Lorelai, and said, like, great, do your spreadsheets, but then live life, too. Because I feel like I was just so knee-deep. And my husband, I look back, he went to, like, a Mito conference every year for the first few, until, until COVID happened. He was going to a conference every year because we wanted to learn as much as we could so that we could fix this. Mm-hmm. And... We're not now. Benji's not doing all of the extra appointments and he's not doing all the things that, I mean, we took Lorelai to Philadelphia to see extra specialists and stuff. And Benji hasn't done any of that, partially because of COVID, but also because I just want to be with my kid, you know? It's a weird, weird place to be. And I don't know how we get through it. We just keep going. We do. And... I think it is figuring out those moments that you don't realize are really little special moments that keep us going and trying to recognize them and putting your phone down and stopping the research to enjoy them while they are Mm -hmm. here. And I, I find that really difficult when you are a fixer because that extra moment might mean something, but it might not. It might not. It might yeah. mean time away from your kids. and But then you feel guilty because you're taking time away from your yes, kids. Yes, exactly. And also giving enough to Maverick, my son, is like another piece that I am constantly thinking of in my head. And then also like being a good employee and being a good wife and being a good aunt and trying to keep my kid alive. Like... I can't do all the things and it's really hard to not be reliable like I used to be uh, pre-mom, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's hard to wrap my head around that sometimes. Have your friends and your circle and your work, have they given you grace or are you harder on yourself like I am? So much grace. I am really hard on myself (laughs) and Mm -hmm. I need to start giving myself some of that grace, but it's also just in me and I'm such a perfectionist and it's just hard to get rid of that peace inside of me. Mm -hmm. Are you a people pleaser too? Because I am a perfectionist and a people pleaser and that's really difficult. I am the worst people pleaser. And I think I have been since I came out of the womb. I just function that way. And I don't say no very well. And I just want everybody to be happy. And I also have Mm -hmm. this extreme sense of empathy that I do think is really special and has made this journey somewhat good and okay, because I just have this extreme feeling of empathy and 
connection and intuition that has really fueled some of my advocacy too. Mm-hmm. So let's slightly pivot, but not really. I want to talk about the advocacy, but I also want to talk about like how, as a people pleaser, how have you found ways to ask for help from your circle? Because like, I'm a fixer, I'm a people pleaser, and I really struggle to be like, I need help with this. Have you struggled with that? Or do you have things that are helpful for people like me? <laughs> I will tell you, I, I'm i still learning. So four years in and probably just in the last maybe six to eight months, I've been better. But I still will shoulder most of it myself until I feel like I'm going to burst. And so I'm working on it. But one of the things that I did do is I did a course through Angel Aid, which was a six weeks of being with other rare disease moms. And I, after I did that, I've never felt more empowered and just this feeling of like, wow, my wellness is super important too. And it's not that people haven't told me that, right? Like people say that from day one, our nurses tell us that our, everybody says that, that we need to fill our cup and have time to dump. And um, I just, I think that was kind of my starter in like, wow, I really need to take care of myself in order to take care of Everly and my other responsibilities. And so I'm trying. Anyone who knows me knows my self-care is my Starbucks drive every single day. I don't miss a day. And that's my 30 minutes to be alone and meet with the baristas who know my name and will make my drink mm-hmm. when I'm standing in line. And I start small. I'm starting small and I will work my way up as I can, but I'm learning. Yeah. And I'm with you on the Starbucks thing. Cheers, mama. Cheers. As we both have our cups. <laughs> For me, it's, it's getting out of the house. Like I work from home. I am with Benji at home and for me, like, even if he's coming with me, I can go through the drive through at Starbucks and I am out of the house for the 10 minute drive there and the 10 minute drive home. And any other time that we get stuck at a light or something, I'm like, please give me traffic. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that too. I recently started to work 100% remote so I could go to Everly. So you could not brush your hair like me. Yeah. I get it. <laughs> See mm-hmm. this I worked mm-hmm. hard for that. <laughs> But I think that was a hard step and that took away some of my time to be social and get out of the house. And, but in return, like I'm two minutes away from daycare now, so I can go and do rescue meds. I can do what I need to do to work, but I, I gave up that social aspect that was so important to my livelihood to make sure that she stays alive. And, and that's a lot. I mean, that's a lot to think about. Mm hmm. And that's really I mean, you pivoted in a way that you never all of this is what we never saw coming. And then to make a decision, you know, I feel like every day we make decisions of like, I don't have time to shower today because I have to do this for my kid. But to say I don't have time to drive into the office and change the my mindset from mom mode to work mode, I just need to stay home and work so that 
if there's an emergency, I can drive two minutes down the road and give her her meds. Yeah. Um, or planning even for this recording, I sent a text to our provider. Like I probably won't get messages, but if there's an emergency, text me nine one one, and I will mm-hmm. log off and come to you right away. Or just those constant planning of emergencies is like, that's our life, right? Like constant yeah. fight or flight, yeah. always having a hospital bag packed people knowing us in the ER, having an emergency plan, like that is, that's our regular life. Yeah. And it's, it's exhausting. It is so incredibly exhausting and taxing because there's that mental load that you're carrying, always being prepared for an emergency. And this kind of circles back to something that we are about to touch on, but like, We are always carrying this mental load of what's going to happen if, what happens if I take my five minutes to go get a pedicure and my nails are half painted and I get a text that I don't respond to text messages. I forget to reply to emails, the stuff that I used to be incredibly reliable with Mm -hmm. and the people that I was talking to frequently. I suck at all of it now. And it makes me the people pleaser, perfectionist, etc. It's like one more layer of hurt for me because I can't do it all. I oh, I wish I could hug you. I feel very similar, and some of it stems back to a time that we left Everly to go eat somewhere when she was in the hospital, and she was about two and a half months old. And it was the first time that we literally left her side. And within like six minutes of leaving, someone called and said, she's having a seizure. You need to get here right now. And I'm not sure that I've ever forgiven myself for leaving and missing that or not being there. And it's this tremendous amount of guilt that we feel, right? Like missing another day of work and my team can't rely on me. It's missing a family outing because it's winter and I'm too paranoid that she's going to get a cold that's going to send her into a spiral. It's not sending her to school because we don't have enough answers medically to tell the school and the nurse how to handle her appropriately and worry that she's going to end up in an ambulance. Like this guilt and not being able to do it all it's really hard to live with it's just not who we used to be Mm -mm. and i don't like it me either but i also wouldn't trade my kids for anything anything Um, and i appreciate my village that has given me so much grace i appreciate that you and i were talking before we hit record and i was like i'm so far behind on this podcast because Benji's health and I have that TED talk coming up and like I've so far behind and I'm doing it all by myself and you're like if anybody gets it it's our village it's our community it's it's us like yes you're fine and I'm so grateful that people like us can connect because it validates what we're going through even though this wasn't what we planned I'm in a weird place of grief and anticipatory grief because I've got both. And I'm like, how do I navigate this? Like, how do I figure this out? And I think with all of what we've talked about is just being present or trying to be. Yes. It's so much easier said <laughs> than done. Um, 
But, oh, man, I, I, I say this every show, but, like, I want to be best friends with you. I know. <laughs> it was instant. I told you. It was like I, we got on here, and I just felt, like, this instant connection. And it really goes back to, like you said, the community. Like, there is this tremendous community of people that get you on a different level. Mm. And it's literally what keeps us going every day. And like you said, whether it's liking an Instagram post and I think of you in that moment or waiting six months and still believing in me that we can get on this (laughs) darn podcast, like it really is the little things. And I never have to question anything between our relationship. Like it's so pure and it's so real and raw. And I love that. So as somebody who could be new into this medical motherhood journey, what has helped you find community? How did you find not necessarily this podcast, but how have you found people and how have you, because it's such an isolating journey and it's so much easier said than done to be like, go find people. (laughs) Well, and we (laughs) talked a little bit before recording and to go back again, it was like, you know, a sleepless night, 4am at, children's hospital and I remember thinking there has to be someone out here that has gone through a similar journey like why can I not find that and ironically ironically the person was probably in the room next door 100% yes (laughs) have been there forever like how did I not run into them but I started to branch out a little bit like I I found a set d5 group on Facebook that was the first recommendation and then we actually got a relationship between um, our geneticist said, there's one other kid that I know of that has set D5. I need to ask for permission that I can connect you to. Mm-hmm. And that was like either the day of when we got the diagnosis of set D5 or the day after. And for hours I spoke with this mom about our kids and we were laughing because they looked like brother and sister and just this support and like branching out, whether that's on social media or listening to podcasts about other people's stories. And I told you too, I got involved on a whim as a co-host now on Raising Rare and being there to share our story in all aspects so that another caregiver or parent, however they're related in the journey, feels like they can join our community too and feel heard. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I was going to say, let's, let's talk a little bit just so that our people can connect with your community. Also, you are a new co-hostess over on Raising Rare and y'all talk about rare disease families. Is that correct? We do. So it's really cool because Sonneth, my other co-host, one of them, and then Kevin, We have the opportunity where I can share some of Everly's story. So it's always going to be that and catching up on what's going on there. And same with Sana. But then we also meet with other rare disease families, other scientists. It's really a huge realm of people. And I've Mm -hmm. found a lot of healing in that too and talking to Mm -hmm. others and giving them a platform where they really feel like they can share their story to help people. And that's been super great for my own mental health to get involved in that way, too. Mm-hmm. And I think if somebody's listening and they're like, I can't be a co-host of a podcast, like, I'm not saying do that. But 
there's only <laughs> there's only so many crazy people <laughs> like us. But but even um, you know, putting yourself out there and going to the hospital and finding out what groups meet up. Mm-hmm. Um, I know our hospital has not just like sit around in a circle and be like, hey, this is such and such with my kid has blah, blah, blah. But they go and get coffee and they go and do things. Now, I'm not very outgoing to do that. Surprisingly, I have a microphone and I talk to just about everybody. But I'm an extreme introvert. And if you told me to go to a meetup, I'd be like, "Uh uh-uh. But I think once you do it one time, you're going to be like, these are my people. Like, they get it. They're probably all terrified, too. Let's be real. (laughs) Yep. A (laughs) hundred percent. And actually, I want to mention this because this is another space that I remember finding somebody, I don't know if it was a social worker or another parent I had met at the hospital, but there's actually like a Minnesota special needs group on Facebook. And those were kind of my first people like, oh my gosh, I got this lab. What does this mean? And, you know, just bouncing Mm -hmm. off. So like literally just finding one outlet and that usually leads into a million other connections, whether that is, like I said, social media or maybe that angel aid that I talked about, just dipping your toe in a little bit and it will usually give you exactly what you need. I'll tell you, I went a little out on the the limb here and I signed up for a retreat that I'm going to go to next year. I'm excited, but also terrified. Um, But I signed up for a retreat in March. So it's actually a bereaved moms group. But like to go and meet like 10 to 15 moms and stay with them. I'm like, oh, my God. (laughs) You're like, I'll bring my microphone and sit in the other room. (laughs) They're all strangers. I have to talk to them and there won't be a computer. (laughs) But I think um, one of the other moms that I've spoken with recently, she went to one conference and now she is signed up for three more around the country because she just got so much out of it connecting with people. So yes, it's so valuable. And honestly, it's what keeps us going every day. It really is Mm -hmm. those valuable connections. It is. It is. Well, we wrap up every episode with one question. Um, And every guest does what you just did. And you make a face like, Oh, God, here comes the question. (laughs) You know what the question is. Don't act surprised woman. (laughs) What gives you hope? Oh, I think what gives me hope right now are the laughs, the hugs, the special memories, and the little I love yous in between all the trauma and heartache. And just like these amazing babies of mine that I get to be a mama to, and they really truly give me the strength to keep getting out of bed every day when sometimes it truly feels impossible. Yep. And for the days when it's impossible, there's always Bluey. Always. Or garbage truck yeah. is this new thing at our house. Oh. <laughs> Someone else, Benji's little best friend is obsessed with garbage truck. So <laughs> if you look at the little boy in garbage truck, you're not going to be able to unsee this. Are you ready? ready? He looks like He looks like Benji. What? <laughs> he is identical to Benji. I literally will be Googling or turning on an episode when we're done here. <laughs> oh, yes. Benji has his own cartoon character. Oh, love you, Benji. Ah. Uh, on that note thank you for being here and for sharing your family with us thank you
So how do you guys feel about my new bestie? You know, I, every episode I'm like, oh, I'm going to be best friends with this person. And I, if you need to be friends with people, I highly recommend that you get a podcast because you get to talk to a lot of really cool people. And yeah, highly recommend all of our guests. If you need friends, I have a whole slew that you can connect with. But for real, I'm going to put Brittany's information in the show notes, not her cell phone number, but where you can find her on social and how you can connect with her in her new co-hostess position on the Raising Rare podcast. But Brittany, thank you for being here and thank you for sharing your family and opening up about how all of this just makes you feel as a rare mom. Y'all come back on Friday because Brittany and I have some things that we need to discuss with you that have to do with Starbucks. This is Suze and I am going to go No, do we like me having the this is Suze and I'm gonna go do blah 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 when I'm by myself? This is Suze and I'm gonna go poll Instagram as to whether or not I should be doing the this is Suze and I'm gonna go do blah blah blah. Bye guys. <laughs>